Open your Bible to Hebrews chapter 10. We'll look at several verses there, 11 through 14. And then what I want you to do, if you have your notes or bulletin or something, you're probably, well, here's what we'll do. We'll see who wasn't here last week. Most of you who were here last week will get this. But what I want you to do is on your uh, notes, draw a picture this morning of a priest. Draw a picture of a priest. Now, I want to share with you this morning about two men named Paul. Two men named Paul. May 15th, 1958, Paul Young Cho and his future mother-in-law decided to start a church. They started a church in her living room with six people. Paul Young Cho, her, his future mother-in-law, her three daughters... And an elderly lady who ducked in to get out of the rain. From that initial meeting, the church grew because of their heart to reach out to the poor and the sick. That church continued to expand and to, and to grow into uh, Seoul. It was planted in Seoul, South Korea. That church continued to expand over several months. And they bought a tent and put it in their backyard. And then one tent gave way to another one, gave way to another one, to another one. They eventually bought a, a, a small piece of land. By that time, the church had, had mushroomed up to about a 1,000 people, and the church suffered a great setback when Paul Young Cho was drafted into the Korean military. Uh, so they didn't know what was going to happen, but fortunately, he was stationed on an American military base in Seoul. So he was able to fulfill his military commitment and then preach on Sundays. At that time, he met an American missionary named John Hurston. Uh, if you were here in the... Heaven to Earth series, you remember me telling a story about him. So John Hurston and Paul Youngie Cho began to co-pastor that church. Cho would preach on Sunday morning, John Hurston on Sunday night. Hurston would carry the responsibilities through the week as Dr. Cho was in the military fulfilling his commitment uh, there. It wasn't long the church continued to grow to about 8,000. And the church, the pressure of the load of the ministry became so extreme that it began to crush Paul Cho. And uh, it got so severe, it began to wear on his health. He became sick. He couldn't keep up with the responsibility. And even when he was baptizing a new believer once, he passed out. And so he just went to the Lord in desperation and began to pray and say, God, I, I don't know what to do. What do I do? How, how, how do we minister to everyone? How do we meet everyone's needs? And this is the point... Where in a crisis season of intercession, God gave Paul Young Cho a new vision. A new vision of restructuring their church into cell groups. And he, and he began to under, undergird Paul Young Cho with an understanding of what this series is about. God people, the priesthood of the believer. That every believer has access to God and authority from God to minister. So what Paul Cho did is he, he went to the men of the church and he understood the vision to say, no one can take care of everyone. Therefore, we have to equip God's people to minister. So he took that vision to the men of the church. The men of the church rejected it. They said, no, God called you to minister, not us. And, and because of some Korean nuances, uh, the men rejected it. So Cho with boldness and this vision given from God went to the women of the church. 
Anybody see the dark clouds gathering? Which is a serious no-no in Korea. And they started with 125 cell groups led by women. And as the church continued to restructure and expand, the men caught the vision and stepped into it. And by, that was 1967. By 1977, the church had moved from 8,000 to 50,000. 50,000. By 1981 to 200,000. By 1992, 700,000. By 2006, 830,000. Today, nearly a million. The American missionary that co-pastored that church with Young E. Cho, up until the time it was a quarter million people, is John Hurston. I shared with you in another series, I had the opportunity to meet him a few years ago. I asked him two questions. One was about healing. The other one was this. I distinctly remember we were standing in his living room in Pensacola, Florida. I was sitting down and he was standing there. I said, Dr. Hurston, I just have to ask you a question. Why do you think it is that one church in world history has been able to, to, to so far outsurpass every other church in its impact. What causes that? I mean, there are good churches of 1,000 and 5,000 and 10,000 and 50,000, but, but you're in a whole other thing now. And then there's Yodio Full Gospel in Seoul, Korea of a million. Well, that's not even... Were the other churches just not trying? He thought for a minute, and I was surprised. It's like he's never been asked that question. He looked at me and thought for a minute. He said, you know, he said, you know what I think it is? He said, Paul Young E. Cho believes in lay people. He said, with everything in him, he believes in lay people. He believes in them with his entire heart. And when I heard him say that, it has echoed through my soul from that day till now. And it has left a lasting impact on me. It spoke to my heart because as I look through the scripture, I see a great and a powerful anointing on the life of the Christian. I see a great untapped ability and power on the life of the Christian, on the Christian life. As we've walked through this series, what I've tried to do is give you a balance of history and, and scriptural background from the word studies we've done. We've gone from the 4th century to the 12th century to the 16th century. Today I want to jump right into the 21st century. And I want to show you some things in American culture that are hurdles to you and I understanding, believing, and becoming the people God called us to be. God people. His people. People that are called by His name. Let me give you three. And then I want to I end this morning with, uh, looking at Hebrews. If you're taking notes, the first one is this. These are just my observations. A fatherless generation. The thing that undermines 
the priesthood of the believer, the thing that undermines God's people becoming God's people, is a fatherless generation. As the family continues to break down in epidemic proportions, you have millions of people who are still waiting for their parents' validation on their life. And it just never seems to happen. And when I don't have the validation that I was supposed to have from my earthly covering, it's hard for me to understand how to reach through that and get it from my heavenly covering. So I I never, it's like I shared with you in a funny way a few weeks ago. It's like you have uh, uh, millions of Christians around the world still sitting at the kids' table at Thanksgiving. Never knowing quite how to feel. It's not a thought. It's not even really rational. It's a feel. To know how to exactly feel how that I'm credible, validated enough to step up and pull the chair up to the next table and say, Now, let's go at it. But that's what God wants to do. So a fatherless generation is a great hurdle. Here's the second thing. Misunderstood roles in the church. As you, as you, um, if you could, if you could take the, the American church and put it on a transparency and, and lay it over on top of the New Testament church and look through it onto it, it wouldn't line up. You ever tried to trace something through a sheet of paper? You go, what was I thinking? It just won't quite line up. Because I don't think that we've come into a full understanding of what our roles are in the kingdom. Let me give you two obvious examples. The American church is filled, brimming over the top, with, with codependent pastors. Codependency is the need to be needed. It's the need to help. So people who are codependent tend to drift toward areas of life where they can help. But the American church is filled with, with codependent people or people who become codependent. See, here's the deal. I don't know if you realize this or not. But I just want to confess this to you on behalf of our staff. As as a pastoral team, in some emotional way, it feels good when you need us. Do you understand that? When you say, oh, I just had to find you. I just had to talk to you. I I needed to hear you on this. I I needed you to agree with me. Do you understand there's an emotional thing that happens there that says, I'm needed. And to a degree or another, that feels good. Now, that's not even the problem. But what happens over time is if you need me, then I begin to shift my value and my importance in the kingdom right on top of your need for me. And the more you need me, the more important I am. And I actually start to believe it. Because churches in America oftentimes are built around that that interlock system. If I'm not careful though, let's look where it's going. Over time, I unconsciously do things to keep you needing me whether they're good for you or not. Are you getting this? But when I do that, I do two things. One is I reaffirm my role as your priest. Which is unbiblical. 
There's no man that stands between you and God. You have open access. But if I keep living with you and playing this drama out, if our staff plays this drama out over and over, we keep reinforcing this unbiblical idea that we're your priest. The other thing that happens is, is your growth becomes significantly stunted. Because you never spiritually work through some of the crises that you need to work through to become really strong and anointed. What happens is, is they're always aborted by somebody jamming in between God and you. We can actually, as pastors, sometimes run interference. And we don't need to do that. Pastors misunderstand their role. We unconsciously believe through the American church system that our role is to make you dependent on us. When in fact, our role is to make you dependent on Jesus. That's our role. Some people can't find Jesus because every time they sneeze, their pastor stands there with a hanky. Well, that was mixed. Now, let me give you the other side. Because of that inner working in the church, because of the American culture, we now have uh, dependent laity. Churches all over America who've been taught this for so long that your job is to, to show up, to pay the bills, and keep us on the air. That's your contribution to the kingdom. Real ministry happens on the platform, and you'll never get on it. When I, when I talked to Dr. John Hurston's daughter, who was on staff at Yodio Full Gospel for eight years, I asked her, talk to me about what you see in church. She said, you know, the thing that amazed us when we came to America is how platform-heavy churches are. So you mean they have big stages? She said, no. She said, what I mean is, is that there's this sense between clergy and laity that real ministry happens up here and lesser things happen out there. And everything that happens out there has to support what happens up here. You understand what I'm saying? But I just don't, as I read the New Testament, as I read the book of Acts, it, it doesn't look that way. So after 1,600 years of these things unspiraling, you have a spiritual welfare state among many Christians. The average Christian sitting in the average church has no foggy idea what their role in the kingdom is. That's why the American church is in the state that it's in. That's why Yodio Full Gospel in Seoul, Korea has made a traumatic impact. Because the average Christian sitting in the average church there, in, underneath that understanding knows what their role is. Several years ago, I have a, a pastor acquaintance in Florida who pastors a church in, in the Panhandle area. And uh, he was a very codependent pastor. He was sitting in a staff minute, a meeting one day. The phone rang. He uh, was secretary. Hey, this lady in the church is on the phone. She needs to talk to you. Tell her I can't talk to her. I'm in staff meeting. She said, she said it's an emergency. She's got to talk to you right now. Okay, put her through he gets on the phone. She says, I've got an emergency. You have to come to my house immediately. He said, what's wrong? Are you okay? She said, I'm fine, but you have to come now. Well, what is it? She said, a cat has died in my driveway. And I can't back my car out without running over it. It's a true story. You have to come get it out. What do you think he did? Being an important lady in the church, not wanting to make her mad and her... 
began to turn everything. He said, all right, all right. He left seven full-time paid staff sitting there in the office, ran over to her house, got a shovel, threw it in the ditch, and came back. Can you see Jesus sitting down teaching the Beatitudes? A boy comes to him. My mom said, you have to come quick. A desert iguana has died in our driveway. We can't back the camel out. She said, you've got to come now. And, and Jesus says, I'll be there in a little while. I'm teaching right now. Because he understood his mission. He understood his role. They said, come quick, Lazarus has died. If you don't come, he's going to die. He said, I'll be there in a little while. Because he knew his mission. He knew what he was doing. Now, here's the third one. This is an, uh, sort of an American phenomenon. Outsourcing. You know what outsourcing is. Outsourcing is when uh, somebody begins to offer a service that you need done, that you're either too busy or, 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 or they do it better than you or whatever. They offer it at a fair price. If you can scratch the money up, you pay them to do it. Like having your clothes dry cleaned. Or, or uh, having seamstress work done. Or like this, does anybody remember when we actually used to bake birthday cakes? Anybody remember that at all? Mama would go in the kitchen and roll her sleeves up and come out and look like she had a fight with a rolling pin and, and flour. Here, baby, here's a birthday cake. Remember that? And then we started outsourcing that. We started buying birthday cakes. Now we don't buy birthday cakes, we buy birthdays. We just Chuck E. Cheese, yes, 10. Want the hats, the little blowing thing. Keep all that junk there with y'all. I don't want none of that in my house. Keep the wrapping paper, the toys, all the junk. I don't want to bring none of it home. Right? Pizza for 10. Hallelujah. We bought a birthday experience. Thank God. None of that junk's coming to my house. And we buy vacations like Disney, right? We buy the whole vacation. We just buy the experience. I'll pay you to do it. Just let me, show me where to lay down. So when, when there's a legal issue, I go to the lawyer. When there's a, a, a medical issue, I go to the doctor. When there's an issue of education, I go to the teacher. When I need something from God, I go to the pastor. See? See, that doesn't work. That undermines the priesthood. It's not, it's not God's idea. The idea is, well, the pastor's closer to God than I am. That's what we pay him for, to be closer to God than I am. So I'll just go see him. And what we're selling, what we're selling is spirituality. But remember what the apostle Peter said when he looked at Simon and Simon said, I want to have the power to lay hands on people and then receive the Holy Spirit. And he said, the things of God are not for sale. Not going to enter a contract on this. The kingdom operates on different ideas. So you and I, oftentimes in American life, live at such a toxic and crushing pace in modern America. We're looking for the faster, cheaper, quicker way. But in that pressure, in that, in that vacuum, there's some things that can't be given away. We can't give away the priesthood. We can't give away the idea that Jesus laid his life down and opened up the inner place so that you could not send somebody else in. So that you could come in. Our relationship to God can't be outsourced. It can't be turned over to someone else. So 
Because of 1,600 years of history, the breakdown of the family, the toxicity of modern culture, I wanted to tell you this morning why you're, why you're a God person. I, I wanted to tell you why you're one of the God people. See, when Satan attacks, now think about it with me. When Satan attacks your life, and when secular culture drags you down, and when insecurity and family memories start to creep back in, you've got to know why. You have to know why you're a God person. You have to know the reason. I'm going to give you the reason. In the Old Testament, as God was establishing laws for His people, He had given them a way to deal with sin. Now, they had to deal with sin, not just wink at it, because God's holy. And when God deals with something, He has to deal with it justly. He can't just pretend it's not there. So because God's holy, He had to find a just way to deal with sin. So God established Aaron and his descendants as priests and Levites, and the priests were, were all, always came out of one of the twelve tribes of Israel. All the priests were to come from that tribe only, and that tribe was completely dedicated to the service of the temple, the Scripture, and the people. And the priests, as they came out of that tribe, represented God to the people and the people to God. Now, the people couldn't come directly to God because they were sinful and God's holiness would kill them. So what God did is set up a priesthood whereby that that man, that Levite, that person is a direct descendant of Aaron, may go into the Holy of Holies and represent the people to God. So once a year on the Day of Atonement, the priest would go into the Holy of Holies and make a sacrifice for the sin of the people. And there was, there was a lot in the Old Testament about ceremonial cleanliness. All of that cleansed the outside, but didn't cleanse the inside. It, 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 it deferred it. The Old Testament sacrifices then would be made and then the priest would come out and whatever he heard from God, he would come and represent God to the people. And he would begin to talk to them. Now, as we look at this scripture in Hebrews chapter 10, I want to give you the, the backstory for the book of Hebrews. The theme of the book of Hebrews is Jesus is better. What do you think we're talking about? Jesus is better. He's a better priest with a better word, with a better sacrifice, and with better promises. Now look at Hebrews chapter 10, verse 11 through 14. Day after day, every priest stands and performs his religious duties. Again and again, he offers the same sacrifices which can never take away sins. Isn't that what I said? Now look at verse 12. But when this priest had offered for all time one sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God. Since that time, he waits for his enemies to be made his footstool. Because by one sacrifice, he has made perfect forever those who are being made holy. Remember what I said to you a week ago about saint, about the word saint, holy. Now go on to verse 19 and 20. Of the same chapter. Because by... Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the... Isn't that what we sang this morning? Enter in to a new and better covenant. 
Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way open for us through the curtain, that is the body, the body of Jesus. I, I don't know. I should have just come today and read that. that that's enough. I mean, did you hear that? Do you understand? The Old Testament priesthood and the flawed sacrifices were on a collision course that intersected at the cross. Here's what I want you to see. In the Old Testament, there was a priesthood and there was a sacrifice. They were two different things. In the New Testament, the priesthood and the sacrifice came to a collision point at the cross. In the cross of Calvary, at that point where Jesus died, Jesus isn't the sacrifice, Jesus isn't the priest, Jesus is both. Jesus is the priest and the sacrifice. The priest who came to offer the sacrifice was the sacrifice. The sacrifice, the priest who brought the sacrifice was the priest. You see what I'm saying? He was both. Jesus was the substance of which the Old Testament was only the frame. Let me give you an example of that. If you decided to build a swimming pool in your backyard, you dig a hole, you, you pour it, you tile it, you paint it, you set it up, but you never fill it with water. You know what you got? A hole. You don't have a swimming pool. A pretty hole, but it's a hole. The Old Testament, like that empty pool, was the frame The old covenant was the frame, but Jesus was the living water. He was the substance that filled the frame. And when Jesus came, he kicked open the door to the Holy of Holies and said, it is now time it's open for everyone to come in. You don't need a mediator anymore. So if the role of the priest is to offer a sacrifice for the sins of the people. But the sins of the people have been dealt with so adequately, no more sacrifices are needed. What would a priest do? It would be like if America, I mean, not that this could ever happen, would go to a flat tax. What would like IRS agents do? It would have been dealt with so well that we like don't need all that anymore. But the main function of the priest was to offer the sacrifice and represent God. But now the Bible says we have a perfect priest and a perfect sacrifice who came in one person. The priest is so perfect, no one ever needs to do that again. The sacrifice was so perfect, no other sacrifice ever has to be given again. Jesus, we like sports metaphors. Jesus hit it so hard, he retired it. His jersey's been hung in the rafters. It never needs to be used again. Jesus retired the Old Testament representative priesthood with a New Testament ministering priesthood. So the New Testament priesthood is for all and is it a ministering priesthood. What did you draw on your notes when we first started? If you drew anything other than yourself, you missed it. What's a priest look like? 
A priest looks like, well, this person and that one and that one and that one and that one and there and there and there and there. A priest looks like you. How do you become... How do you know that you're, you're designed to be one of God's people? A God person. Authorized, validated, credentialed. Because Jesus has a better covenant. He's a better sacrifice. He has better promises. And he's a better priest. And, and when the enemy comes in and starts to choke the dreams that God has put in your mind, and when the enemy comes in and starts to undermine you and barrage you with fear and everything else, you flip over to Hebrews chapter 10 and you say, Jesus is better, and he has a better plan for me, and he's made me one of his people. Therefore, I don't have to live through this, and I don't have to go to anyone else to get what I need. God has made a way for me to go straight into the Holy of Holies. Paul Young E. Cho believed what I shared with you this morning. But I mentioned, I don't know if you caught it at the beginning of the message, I wanted to share with you a story about two men named Paul. The other one's not Paul the Apostle, although he believed it. The other one is a man who's a relative of someone who's a hearer. His name's Paul Reno. Maurice and Janice Reno. It's Maurice's uncle. Paul and Joyce Reno were in our congregation in Mississippi. Paul Reno, if I've ever, if I've ever, ever met a man who was a, a common Christian, I don't mean that his commitment or passion was common, but he was just a regular guy who believed in the priesthood of the believer. It was him. Paul Reno, I can't even tell you the number of people that he brought into their living room through the years. Young airmen, young, young Navy and Air Force and military people would come through the area. They'd bring them over and fellowship with them. And he had more people called into full-time ministry in his living room than most churches do. He had more people baptized in the Holy Spirit in his living room with no pastor present. He didn't reason he needed one. He just did what God told him to do. And if you knew him, he, the last time I saw Paul, he had a disease in his legs and his hands were bent like this and he couldn't straighten them out anymore. He was about 77. But I've sat and watched Paul meet at men's breakfast on Saturday mornings and Paul would sit up there. All, all us just came to watch. We didn't have to. He would say, hey, you got a need? He had an old Cajun accent. You got a need? Come on up here. Bring him up here. We're going to lay hands on it. Bible says if you believe it, you receive it. Receive it. And he prayed. And, those, and you don't know the men that have come into the kingdom through that right there. Men that have been healed. We, we were there one, one uh, Saturday morning, prayed for a woman who had cancer. She was healed. We got the report that afternoon. He believed he believed God. He believed God's word. Paul Young E. Cho believed it. Paul Reno believed it. As much as any person I've ever known. The question you and I got to answer is, do we believe it? 
this morning, do you and I believe it? Because what I want to do, what I want to do this fall is to try to inject what I hear the Spirit saying to me is inject these foundational things that will be called on in the next season. Because what do we do when we say it's time to minister? We don't need hesitation right there. Well, what, well, what do we do? Well, you step into it and say, Jesus has made a better way. And I don't have to wait for any other thing to be done. I can step into the move of the Spirit. And God wants to use me.